Welcome to Become an Idol. I'm Dr. Robin Sargent, owner of Idol Courses. This is the place where newbies come to learn and veterans share their knowledge. I have here with me today, Sarah Bania Dobbins, and she is an Idol Courses Academy member who has reached her very first big idol goal. And so I wanted to come and share her story and just like hear her journey to become an idol and what that included and what it looks like and her advice for you on your journey. So Sarah, will you please do a better job of introducing yourself and maybe talk about uh, maybe your former occupation before you became an instructional designer? Sure, yeah. Um, so my story is a little bit non-linear. I have a background primarily working in higher education. Uh, I have a PhD in international studies and have been teaching for oh, the last, uh, gosh, <laughs> uh, the last 10 years-ish. Yeah. Uh, and, but I've primarily been, because I wasn't the sort of uh, academic who was prepared to go on that big academic job search where you go wherever the job takes you. I was an adjunct for much of my career in higher ed um, and took on freelance work alongside my uh, my work teaching uh, really for the last 10 years as well. Um, what happened gradually was that my freelance work and my work in academia started to gradually merge more with each other. When I initially finished my PhD, I thought I was gonna do more research um, and the teaching was something that I did to support the research. But as my career evolved, my career became much more about teaching and the practice of teaching. So my freelance career started to kind of complement that. I started off by doing a lot of professional writing consulting um, and so supporting a lot of adults who were going back to school and for after many years of being out in the professional world. So before I, you know, without knowing it, I was developing skills in adult learning, uh, teaching methodologies. And I didn't even know instructional design was a thing <laughs> until a friend of mine who was a former teacher told me, you know, you're doing instructional design. I said, well, yeah, of course I design instruction. She said, no, 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 no. You are an instructional designer. I said, well, what do you mean? Uh, and so she started to explain the field to me. And this is about five years ago. I started applying for jobs and I had a really bad experience initially. Uh, applying for instructional design jobs. A lot of people were saying things to me like, well, just because you have a background teaching, that doesn't mean you know anything about instructional design. Uh, and they just, I just didn't know how to transfer my skills over, even though I knew I would look at the job descriptions and I would say, check them all off. Like I can do all that stuff. I do all that stuff but it wasn't working yet for me. And so I kind of let go for a little while on the instructional design goal um, and kind of 
continued with my adjunct teaching, but I started taking some contracts where I was doing curriculum design. Well, that moved me even closer towards instructional design. But again, I wasn't trying to go that direction. And again, you know, the same friend, I told her about this and she said, hey, you should really just try this again. And finally, after doing a lot of research on the sort of what I needed to do in terms of transferring my skills from higher ed into the instructional design world, that's how when I ran across the Idol Academy. And when I looked at what the Idol Academy was doing, I, I thought, yes, this is what I need because a big roadblock for me has been the technology piece and having an official sort of endorsement that I can use the technologies in an appropriate way with learners. And even though, you know, I had experience doing that, uh, I didn't know things like Storyline and I, uh, I knew LMSs, but only in a higher ed context. And so I took, I decided that I would start the Idol Academy. Now that sort of co coincided because last year during the pandemic, I, my freelance work sort of shifted and became more my focus over my adjunct work. So for the first time I was taking, I was taking lots of clients and I was starting to get really close to being in an instructional design, uh, getting instructional design contract contracts, but they were still like almost, but not quite. They were curriculum design, but not quite instructional design yet. And that started to change after I joined the Idol Academy and I started to revamp my LinkedIn, revamp my uh, my portfolio and a lot of the pieces and materials that you start to create as you're working through the Idol Academy. But was, what was nice was that since I was already a freelancer, much of the work that I was doing and that I'm still doing actually uh, as I move through the badges is work I'm doing for clients. So it's been a really important part of my journey to sort of, it's been a gradual process and it's really the Idol Academy really helped with both giving me more background with the technologies and also just the confidence to be able to go to clients and say, yes, I am, I am an instructional designer. Oh my gosh, Sarah, you have just like laid out so much that I um, have, I want to unpack a few things. So first of all, I should have introduced you, Dr. Sarah Banya. Always <laughs> use the title. I'm not super formal about it. Well, I mean, you might as well be on on a on a public uh, forum like a podcast. Sure. <laughs> well, so all right. So you joined in January. Yes, I did. Yeah. Okay. So you're part of the sixth cohort, and okay. it's May now. And so, all right. So you're like, I'm doing this work. I have this background you know, whatever it takes, um, I'll invest in that next step to really get me over the line as far as the technology goes. Yeah. And so what, what happened after that? So you started building your portfolio and your LinkedIn. Did you just focus on getting more clients that were in line with instructional design? Or did uh, you go and did you land a, a full-time ID role? So, 
So I ended up getting a contract, uh, which turned out to be a, an, so initially when I hit my idle goal, I got a contract with a company for, uh, that was doing um, sort of uh, like job training uh, material for early college level uh, students, but not for college. It was specifically for students of that age. So adults, but younger adults who were exploring uh, careers and trying to figure out what careers are the best fit for them. So it, that we weren't necessarily going to work together long term, but what was great was that I developed a nice portfolio, a graphic design. So oh, there, will you say that one more time? Um, you got cut off. So, oh, so you, said you created a portfolio while working for them? Yeah, I ended up from working with that client, I ended up creating a piece um, that's now in my portfolio. Um, on graphic design. So even though that client and I didn't didn't decide to work together long term, I mean that's just the, the reality of freelance freelancing. Some clients turn out to be a good uh, match and some don't. Uh, so, uh, but I got a great portfolio piece out of it. Um, so I consider that a success. Um, after that, uh, so that was like that was in earlier this spring. So like April. Uh, well, okay, so you joined in April and you got your first. No, like, no. I joined in January. I mean, January, and then in April you got your first like big contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm now in another contract with uh, a client who is designing, who's having me design several um, bookkeeping courses uh, for a community college. So I'm doing that all in Canvas for her. Uh, and that contract is going to be, it's a, that's a, it's three courses. So that's a fairly big contract. Um, and I have another client who I'm working on actually a website uh, redesign for them. And that's interesting because uh, although website redesigns aren't traditionally instructional design, they're more UX. It was my, I was able to use the background my instructional design background to lay out the process and to pitch the project to the client. Um, so, uh, so the, yeah, that's another topic altogether, but <laughs> they're really, they really speak well to each other. And it was my, my instructional design um, ability that was a, that made it possible for me to get that contract. And so is your, goal moving forward there to just keep being an instructional design freelancer? You know, I haven't decided 100% yet for now. Um, I, I'm happy doing that because it's letting me work with a variety of different clients. Um, and so I think for now, that's that I want to do that for maybe another year. Um, and then after that, make a decision about the type of client that I might like to work on a longer term, full-time basis for. Um, because right now, uh, the big thing for me is really choosing the right kinds of clients and projects that mesh with my values. Uh, and so the more I do that, the more it'll be possible to find uh, my niche in the long term.
And I bet so many people are asked, thinking to themselves right now, like, okay, well, we get it that you built your portfolio and you did a few things. So, but how did you actually get your first couple of contracts as an instructional designer? Did you? Well, I, I get yeah. most, I was actually already an established freelancer on Upwork. I do get a lot of my contracts through Upwork, um, which after a while of being on there, that, uh, that is a good place to find those kinds of projects um, because you build up reviews and a reputation on there. But I do get some contracts outside of Upwork, including the one I talked about with the website redesign. That one, I, I pitched the project entirely on my own, just through my personal network. Um, the director of the research center for that website um, is a, a colleague from my PhD program. So I was able to use a connection I had um, to pitch that project. And I just love how, I love how um, you went ahead and, and pitched the project. So did you send a formal proposal without them asking for it or how did that work? Yeah, actually, so I was teaching a class on writing policy briefs. Uh, and for the class, I decided to interview a few faculty members in the School of International Studies where the class was offered on their experience with writing policy briefs. So the director of this research center was one of the people I interviewed. And he, uh, through our email conversation about that, said, oh, by the way, here's a copy of our annual report in case you're interested. So I looked at his annual report, um, which was very well put together. Um, and then I looked at their website and the website was very internal facing. And it sort of looked like somebody had put together um, an encyclopedia one piece at a time over time. Uh, and I didn't say it exactly like that to him, sure. but very diplomatically. And, and of course, he's someone I have an existing relationship with, so I knew I could give him constructive criticism and it was it would be fine, regardless of what he decided. So I, I, I wrote and I said, you know, I, I looked at your website and, you know, your, your annual report was so, you know, it, it just looks so polished and so focused on your external stakeholders. But, and then I looked at your website and it, it just looks like your website could use some updating um, to <laughs> make sure that it is really reaching holders. Uh, so I, I kind of pitched it that way. And I focused on making sure that he could get his mess, the message of their research center across to their stakeholders. And they have really high, high power stakeholders like the UN and the World Bank and uh, places like that where, you know, and they have an international reputation for the work they do. So somehow their message has gotten out, even in spite of their website, but they mm -hmm. do so much more. Uh, and um, through that process, uh, they, that, that pitch, that's how uh, the project came about. Um, and I'm actually not, I haven't gotten started on that project yet. I'm waiting for a few last details to get sorted out. So I'm focused instead on the, the bookkeeping pro, um, courses project for now. Um, but that's fine because 
it works out well with the timing. So what were the things that were kind of like, I don't know, aha moments for you in the academy? Was it the technology? Was it being able to put your website together? What were kind of the things that you're like, oh my gosh, it would have taken me forever if I would have done this on my own? Uh, so I think a lot of, I, I still, for me, I consider the the Idol Academy kind of like an ongoing professional development um, experience. Um, and I plan to keep using it that way. Um, I'm still working through the e-learning um, developer uh, badge and I plan to I plan to submit my materials for that with the material I'm creating for the bookkeeping courses. Um, so for me, I guess, it's the big revelation, I guess, which is, yeah, the most important thing for me is just being part of a professional community, um, which I didn't have before the Idol Academy. You know, a couple of people here or there uh, who I knew and could talk to, but I didn't want to keep going back to the same people all the time and asking questions. And it's really nice to have the Facebook community and the feedback feedback portal within the idle courses website as well uh, to always have a place to go to ask questions and to keep learning because you know the technology is always changing it's there's always something more to learn Um, and that's it's that's a nice thing to, to have I felt like when I joined the idle academy I was I was really thinking long-term. That's so smart. And then did you um, join any accountability groups or anything like that? Did you pull any friends off offline and meet in person? Like, I mean, uh, in person, I mean, I guess through Zoom or something. I didn't end up doing that. Um, I was, I was sorry that didn't happen during the eight week cohort. Uh, But I, yeah, my hope is that as I continue to get more involved and get more of these badges and contribute more in the community um, that that can happen more over time too. Oh yeah. I mean, right. Just like you said, it it just, it never goes away and whatever you want to move through. And, you know, I would probably be like you, Sarah, if I joined the Academy, I'd probably be the person that gets my, puts my head down and just knocks out the, you know, the things that I need to create to reach my goal. So I, I get, I was just curious because I know a lot of people like when they say community, then that means that they actually like made some, the, some friends they pulled off the offline and, and met in person or whatever. So that's why. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, so now here you are, you've like, do you really feel like uh, you could go out and get any kind of instructional design clients that you want? And if you wanted to go apply for a job today, you, you could do it or how, how are you feeling now? I'm not it's- one of the reasons why I'm still doing freelance is because I'm there's still some areas where I'm working on up sort of taking taking the next step with my learning with the technology in particular. A lot of ID jobs require a storyline and the whole articulate suite, and I don't feel like I totally know it well enough to go out and apply for just any job yet Um, but I'll get there and I'm sure that over the next several months 
with the contracts I have going now, I'm going to be using that stuff and moving through the training material on the Idol Academy while I'm doing work for clients. So yeah, that's part, that's part of my, the timeline I talked about before with maybe in about a year, I'll be looking at uh, a full-time role somewhere. Uh, in the meantime, I'm getting clients. Uh, so I'm happy about that. <laughs> and have you been able to raise your um, client project rate? Uh, yes. Uh, depends on the project, but yes. Uh, so I, the rate that I was using I, on Upwork about a year ago, um, I have been able to raise uh, to a consistent higher level. And then there are some projects that I go even a little higher than that. It depends on the project and the client. Wonderful. Then that means that your investment is already paying off, right? So. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So Sarah, um, I mean, people might wonder like, well, you already had all this experience and you have a PhD. And so what's kind you of your- to be an instructional designer. Not what's that? You can't use it if you have one, but you don't need one. Uh, just, I, I want people to know that they don't need to have um, that, per, you know, that kind of background at all. Oh my gosh, you'd probably, I mean, truth be told, I mean, you'd probably be better off not having one if you want to get a job in corporate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, because they, I mean, there's a lot of um, assumptions that come up when people see that mm-hmm. you have a PhD behind your name, like, oh, they're going to charge too much. Oh, they're not going to be with it in the technology. Oh, they mm-hmm. might be a know-it-all. Um, there's a lot of um, kind of barriers that come up. Uh, and I think that's part of what I was dealing with a few years ago when I first started applying for instructional design jobs. Um, yeah. The more the more I've worked with a variety of different clients, where that hasn't been a barrier because you know I have a track record now. Yeah, and with client work, it oh, it's kind of different, right? So if you have a PhD and you're working with clients, then you can use that to bolster your expertise for that client. But it's a different thing when you're trying to just go get a full-time ID job. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so what's kind of, so Sarah, you've been on a longer journey. It's, it's weaved all around and around. So what's kind of your um, best advice that you'd like to give people that are listening that are new or just starting out, or maybe they're about to join the Academy or something like that. So what's your best advice for them? Like something that you uh, would just want them to keep in mind as they're going through the process to become an idol? I would say play to your strengths because in the long run, even as you gain all of these new skills from the Idol Academy, the background that you bring from wherever you came from, it's going to be valuable in some way. And that's the way that looks will be different for everybody. But I really think that the more that you can show the applicability of the new skills you're getting from the Idol Academy with what you did before, the more people will be convinced that you can bring value to another kind of company as well. That's wonderful. Did you do that in a specific way? Were you strategic about that at all, Sarah, yourself? Or you? So yes, I, I was a little bit strategic about it. I mean, it, when I look back in retrospect, yeah. I mean, 
So my adjunct teaching, I have always had mixed feelings about it because as an adjunct, you don't always get to choose what classes you teach. But as I developed more, I was, I was doing more freelance work. I was able to pick and choose which classes I taught more than I was initially. And as that happened, I was able to pick things that were going to help me build my portfolio more. So right now, I actually still do teach a couple of classes online for the University of Denver, and they're in professional skills for, uh, for professionals who are going into international affairs careers. And so for me, those classes continue to be valuable and applicable to the work I do as an instructional designer because it's adult learning and practice. And it's also uh, using uh, the skills that I teach. The, these uh, master students are ones that are often used in corporate settings as well. Things like professional negotiation and cross-cultural communication and uh, writing for professional audiences. And all of those are, so I can, the assets that I develop for my classes, I can often use to share with clients as samples. Oh, that's a, that's a great example, Sarah. Absolutely. So I just, uh, I mean, your story is uh, inspiring in the sense that you went from wanting to, you were already freelance, you're already hustling, wanting to do more instructional design work. And then what, less than like, maybe three months you started, you started reaching that goal. And now you have a couple of clients and you are like doing exactly what you want to do. So thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate the opportunity that IL Academy continues to give people. I know. And then you're going to have to come back and be a mentor or coach when you're ready. <laughs> when I'm more up on the technology. Yeah. I, I will definitely think about it. <laughs> Not yet, <laughs> um, because, well, for me, during the cohort, we ended up asking our mentor a lot of questions about the technology, um, and she was really knowledgeable. Um, I wouldn't be able to answer those kinds of questions yet. Okay, well, later then, later then. Yeah. Just like you said, we're always here, and um, we're here for whenever you're ready for your next level of growth, and so I'm just so glad you're a part, Sarah, and um, I really appreciate you coming and sharing your story. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at idlecourses.com. If you like this podcast and you want to become an instructional designer and online learning developer, join me in the Idle Courses Academy where you'll learn to build all the assets you need to land your first instructional design job, early access to this podcast, tutorials for how to use the e-learning authoring tools, templates for everything course building, and paid instructional design experience opportunities. Go to idlecourses.com forward slash academy and enroll or get on the wait list. Now get out there and build transcendent courses.